This is an ABC podcast. Matters of State. New South Wales votes. Your guide to the state election with Sarah McDonald and Ashley Raper. Welcome to Matters of State. This is our new weekly state election podcast. I'm Sarah McDonald from Mornings on ABC Radio Sydney. And I'm Ashley Raper, New South Wales state political reporter for ABC News. And we are on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. And we are wearing our orange fluoro vests and our hard hats because it is election season and very soon we'll be joined by our election boffin here at the ABC Anthony Green to have a look at all the key seats and the crucial numbers for the March 25th election. But first, Ash, it's four weeks out and I'm wondering from your perspective on the uh, inside of the campaign trail, what's it been looking like for you so far? Look, not sure really. It's been a bit of a bit of a ride already. We are in a situation here in New South Wales where there's no starting gun for the campaign. Because we knew it was coming, right? Yes, we always know. It's legislated to happen on the fourth Saturday in March every four years. So it means that there's no drive to the governor's house uh, to signal the start of the campaign and therefore no starting gun for the public to know that politicians want their attention. But it could well benefit the parties, Liberals and Labor's especially, because they've had a few issues so far since since January. We've had Dominic Perrottet um, reveal he wore a Nazi costume at his 21st birthday parties. His brothers have been missing after they were dragged into a parliamentary inquiry into developer influence. And an upper house MP, Peter Poulos, was booted from the party after extending explicit pictures of a female colleague. Now, all these were the result of factional infighting. Now, Sarah, that seems to have calmed down slightly this week, at least. But there's also been the resignation of the finance minister, Damien Tudorhope, for having shares in a tolling company, which has a stake in most of Sydney's motorways. Now, it's not just been the Liberals. Labor has had problems too. It's lost four candidates, most notably the Canterbury Bankstown Mayor, Carl Asfer, over inappropriate expense claims. It also lost their star recruit in the seat of Monero, which is considered a crucial seat, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon. But Terry Campisi, the former NRL player, now he went to a sex-themed party and then withdrew for the campaign. So realistically, the parties would really like the public to miss out on those things, but it is a double-edged sword because it also means that perhaps the policies that have been announced are falling on deaf ears. Well, that's right, and it shows if you're infighting yourself that's hard to fight each other for the election. What do they actually want us to be focusing on? What's the sort of drumbeat that you're hearing on again and again when they are wearing those fluoro vests and hard hats so often? Well... For the Premier, his catch cry is long-term economic plan, long-term economic plan. That is all we have been hearing. It was actually quite funny. One of the reporters the other day in their TV news package had a count. It was like a ticker up and I think it got past 20 the amount of times that Dominic Perrottet had said it. And <laughs> and, and it was and it's getting slightly ridiculous. Uh, there was a there was a press conference when he was asked a question on on feral horses and and that issue in Kosciuszko National Park and there's legislation around that and he was asked whether that legislation need to be revisited. Next minute he's talking about his long-term economic plan. I don't know how that fits into an out to an answer on Brumbies, but you you know why politicians do it, right? So they don't answer the questions. Keep kind of getting this across, so you're going to get the grabs on the TV news yes, that night. It absolutely ups the chances of that grab getting on on the news um, that night. And it's really we've seen the Liberals borrow from an old playbook to say that they're better at managing the economy than Labor, and they've 
been attempting to point out that under Labor there will be a budget black hole because of Labor's promise uh, to abolish the public sector wage cap and, and negotiate salaries sector by sector. Now, Labor has hit back saying, well, hey, you've got some infrastructure promises that aren't funded, like for one, raising the Warragamba Dam wall. And that's created this debate around privatisation and put pressure back on the government to ask, really, are you going to privatise any more asset? Now, Labor doesn't really want to have that economic debate. They want to focus on, on their priorities and a big priority for them is education. Yes, and we'll talk more about the leaders next week and who they are because Chris Minns need to get that recognition out there for Labor. But if you have missed it, here is what they want you to be hearing. It's all part of our long-term economic plan to keep New South Wales moving forward. The Labor Party can play games in the Upper House. We're focused on delivering a long-term economic plan to keep New South Wales moving forward. That's our focus. The Liberals and Nationals are focused on delivering our long-term economic plan to keep New South Wales moving forward. Headwinds are coming uh, and our team, the Liberals and Nationals, have that economic plan to keep our state moving forward. We're putting up a plan to fix New South Wales, a positive plan to invest in education and health to tackle the housing crisis. But I know that we've got great candidates and a good plan and I think we're making uh, efforts and ground by presenting that plan to voters over the last two months and we've got four weeks to go. Four weeks to go. We're moving forward in the election campaign. So, Ash, the, the news polls come out and it does seem as people start to engage with the election that the polls are tightening. Yes, this was always going to be a tight contest and, and the polls are reflecting that. Uh, are people engaging yet, Sarah? That is the question. Normally, I think they'll, they'll engage a bit closer. Are you listening yet? <laughs> to the time. But we know this is all going to be about cost of living. This is the cost of living election. And so it's whether the messages and policies are getting through on what each side is doing uh, for the family budget, really. All right. Well, we know that in elections, the mood on the ground can say one thing, the numbers can say another. So we're about to bring in our guest, ABC Chief Elections Analyst, the absolute legend, Anthony Green. Anthony Green, welcome to Matters of State. Hello. Hello. Well, this is exciting, isn't it, for you? <laughs> yes. Now, we know, Anthony, that this was always going to be tight, that the government has finished the parliamentary term not in majority, they're in minority, but Labor has so many seats to win. Do you see a path to a majority government for either the coalition or Labor? Yeah, and I think to a large extent it's going to be decided by a string of seats in outer Sydney. There's an arc of seats that run from Penrith through the lower northwest to Penrith, from Parramatta to Penrith. There's a few seats in the south. It's largely going to be decided in that battle. It's, it's, it may be that neither side gets to a majority. What they both what they want to do is finish with more seats than the other side. That gives them basically their first the first go at forming government. Um, and so that's what the battle will be. And it's those sorts of seats that will be decided. I think it's also worth putting this election in broader historical context. The coalition's been in government now for 12 years. It's the longest period of coalition government in New South Wales political history. Right, New South Wales was governed by Labor for 52 of the 72 years from 1941 to 2011, for two-thirds of the last century since the first Labor government was formed. Um, between 1923 and 2011, there was only one Labor leader who didn't become Premier, and there's been four Labor leaders since who didn't. So this has been historically a poor period for Labor, one of its worst period since, since it formed its first government. And it's also worth, I think, worth saying that... Um, it's a 
government, which has probably done more to change the shape of Sydney since the 1920s when they built the Harbour Bridge and the City Circle and electrified the railway system, and it's been done on the back of privatisation of electricity. And the irony of that is both Bob Carr and Michael Egan in the 1990s and Maurice Yemmer in 2008 were blocked from doing that by the Labor Party, by their own party. And so they never got the opportunity to spend that money, which this government has done because it did that privatisation. So there's that irony there that what Labor wanted to do, what the leaders wanted to do and the party wouldn't let them do, the current government has done, and it's had the money to do all that spending and do all that capital works, which had been right. blocked up for years in Sydney. And there's been a lot of concrete poured, a lot of cranes uh, across Sydney over the last few years. And and as you mentioned, Western Sydney, they also had money for West Invest. So a lot of cash has been spent. The focus has been so much on Western Sydney. Is that where the election's going to be won or lost? Or is the government really fighting for two fronts to get back a majority? Because it's not in majority now. Well, it is. And it, you know, there's a couple of seats around the state. Uh, Murray in the far west, which is a rural seat now held by an independent next shooters and fishers and farmers party candidate. Uh, Heathcote, which has been affected by redistribution. It's hard to see many seats the government can actually gain at the election. But there's several which are very marginal, which they might hang on to. If you look at the federal results, the Liberals did much better in Penrith and East Hills than you would expect. But really, it comes down to and I know the coalitions, the Liberals have got a problem with a few seats on the North Shore, but in the end, all those independents are running in the North Shore, they might get the balance of power, but every one of them is going to be asked constantly, will you back a Labor government? And and in, in the end, the, the chances of who's going to have more seats is going to be determined in seats like Parramatta, Winston Hills, Riverston, Londonderry, Penrith, Heathcote and Holdsworth. They're the seats you're going to hear a lot about in the new seat of Leppington, which has no sitting member. Just touching on something that you said about what happened in the federal election, can we take anything away from the, the gains and the wins, in, especially in Western Sydney, for, for Labor in Western Sydney? Do they translate, do you think, at a, at a state level? I mean, the difficulty is, is that... Um, so much of when you do this transfer of results, so much of it is built on the intensity of the campaign. The Labor Party put a lot of effort into Parramatta. The Liberal Party put very little effort into Greenway, which is the federal seat which covers Riverston. And the Liberal put, Liberals put a huge effort into Banks and Lindsay. Lindsay's based on Penrith, Banks based on East Hills. And so if you do the transfer, you find East Hills and Penrith and even Londonderry, which is a Labour seat, end up looking Liberal-held. And Riverston would be, and Parramatta look like no-go areas for the Liberal Party. But that's on federal election results and measures the intensity of the campaign. In each of those seats, the parties have their own candidates and they're doing their own campaigning at the state level, and we have optional preferential voting. And one of the consequences for that for Labour is it doesn't get as many green preferences at state elections as it does at federal elections. It needs to get a higher first preference vote in some of these seats. So in terms of that, you know, you mentioned the crossbench, Anthony Green. Alex Greenwich already sits there. And I know that he's been chatting with some of the teals, the, the would-be teals. But there are differences also in the federal uh, way it works. So what do you think in terms of another teal wave or independent wave? How likely is that? Because it's a different system of voting here too. Yeah, if you look at the federal results, uh, the Liberals lose five seats to independents on the North Shore and the East, uh, on the North Shore. Um there's a number of differences. One is the there's limits on donations and campaign spending. And so the amount of work that the Climate 200 organisation in the Teals did at the federal election to get their names out there, it's harder to do at state level. And they haven't started as early. Another problem for the Teals, um, it's not Scott Morrison they're running against. 
they're running against the government but backs the ICAC rather than opposes the equivalent. Um, so they're two things which worked at the federal level, which just aren't really there at the state level, and especially also because the state government is much stronger on climate change issues. Third thing is optional preferential voting. Every one of the teal independents was elected at the federal election came from second place on Labor and Green preferences. That's harder to do at New South Wales elections because of optional preferential voting. So we don't have to put a number two, three, four, five, no, you only that have kind to of do thing. One and other op- preferences are optional. But you can put more numbers mm. if you like. Yes, yeah. so it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how many do and in which areas. What do you think, Ash? Because you've been talking to some of the independents who are keen to, to have that position of power. Yeah. Now, the the Teals or the Climate 200, the Simon Holmes Accord Group, they're fielding five candidates, uh, four on the North Shore and one in Wallandilly in um, Southern Highlands area. Now, perhaps one may get up to maybe Pittwater and North Shore are looking the most likely at the moment, but we've still got a way to go. But as Anthony pointed out, it's going to be much harder for them to win because of the optional preferential voting. But then you've got other independents. In Wakehurst, there's the Northern Beaches Mayor running there. Uh, in, in Willoughby, there's independent Larissa Penn, who came so close in the by-election against the Liberal MP Tim James there. So they're going to be interesting seats to watch too. Uh, yeah, so not, they're not the Teals, but but they have this local support, you would imagine, and, and they will challenge and be a threat to those sitting MPs. And I think they are worried about some of these seats, aren't they? They're doing some polling. The independents that have got the best chance are in seats which have got histories of being won by independents. You're talking about Pittwater, North Shore and Manly. They've all been won by independents, local independents in the past, and the best chance for these candidates to win is as local independents who are just going to fight and fight on local issues. That's how you win those seats. The broader agenda that people keep calling them teals, I think just completely confuses who they are and and what's their chance of winning, and it also puts pressure on them with the possibility of a hung parliament about who they'll back because... Um, without all those other issues which are affecting the federal election and attitudes to Morrison and, and the federal government, yeah. without them, these, these independents will all come under pressure about who they're going to back in government. Yes, have, have they been telling you that yet, Ash, or they're not working that out yet? Well, nobody wants to have that discussion. I heard <laughs> parties are avoiding it, the independents are avoiding it. It's one of those, it's the, it's the big elephant in the room. Nobody wants to have that conversation at this stage. Right, but it could be a conversation because they could be the kingmakers down the track. Oh, look, I mean, the voters are deciding on the new parliament on the 25th of March, but that may not determine whose government. It will be negotiated afterwards if there's no clear majority. Uh, you just presume if Labor can hold his seats, and it might have a few problems in places like Fairfield and Cabramatta, which we're yet to find out about. Um, but, you know, they then have three Greens on top of that. But if Labor plus the Greens don't reach the magic 47, what happens next? I mean, the government, this is the first coalition government I've seen in the last term that has worked well with the crossbench. They, they talked to Alex Greenwich from Sydney, the member for Lake Macquarie, Greg Pipe, and they both spoke to Joe McGurr, the member for Wagga Wagga, before the 2019 election. They had agreements on passing, having debates on abortion and voluntary assisted dying. So this is a government that knows how to work with the crossbench, and I haven't seen many coalition governments anywhere in Australia in the past that have managed that. And the crossbench has really been able to capitalise on that, you think, that decriminalising abortion, voluntary assisted dying, getting in in New South Wales, that all came from Alex Greenwich as an, as an independent MP. Yes, he even jumped in the in the harbour with Rob Stokes at one stage. They were very friendly together, jumping in with their shirts. It was a bit of a, a wet shirt competition.
Let's talk quickly about the Upper House. It's called the Legislative Council in New South Wales. It's been pretty important in the last term of government, not just the Alex Greenwich negotiated legislation there. No, in the Upper House, we've seen it work very effectively together. The opposition, the Greens with Mark Latham with One Nation, um, the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party. They've worked quite well together in terms of forcing the government to reveal secret documents, um, to force parliamentary inquiries as well. And we've seen some really incredible work done. You think the John Barillaro trade posting to the US, that came or started really uh, unravelling for the government because of documents and then there was the parliamentary inquiry. So the upper house does some work and it's been very, very strong in this last parliamentary term. Yes, but causing a few headaches in the lead up to the election at the same time. Andy Green, what could we we see here in in the upper house? How do you see this playing out? Because there's some new parties uh, coming to the ground here as well. Oh, well, look, I think the party that's the new party that's most likely to elect a member is legalised cannabis. You think they'll um, get him? There's an old joke. You have a party called legalised cannabis on the ballot paper. It's guaranteed 2 to 3%, which is enough to get into the upper house. So I think it's a real chance. Um, the the um, One Nation, the question is whether they get one or two seats. Now, Mark Latham's um, doing something which is slightly against the spirit of the Constitution, that he's resigning his seat to run for a new eight-year term, which means he's on the ballot paper again. Um, the um, Tanya Mah- Mahalok, who's a former Labor member for Bankstown, I think is number two. So there's a chance that they could both get up on that ticket. I think the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers might have a bit more trouble because I think they've... Um, They've had splits in the ranks. They're unravelling a bit and they're all their three lower house MPs yeah. are now independents. They've left. Now, um, Robert Borsak, who is the leader, he he's up for, for re-election and is staying on the ticket. So whether he, he gets in, but there'll still be one yeah. in there. Right. And um, Animal Justice has won at the last two elections, but both of those victories have been from the lowest primary vote of any party ever elected, which is like a little under 2%. And I think there's a feeling that perhaps they'll lose one. There's one, one of the two is up for re-election that possibly they might not get across the line for a, for a second seat this time. So does what that, does that mean? Is it a sort of a Star Wars, uh, as they say, party kind of, you know, confusion in a, in a legislative council? Which way will it lean, do you think? Well, there's an, I mean, another person who's going to be departing is Fred Nile, who's been there since 1981. He's now, put himself number two on the ticket, but that's He's, he's running on a ticket, as is Lyle Shelton, as is a number of other groups, and they have no party name. So there's no name above the ballot paper. Now, Pauline Hanson got above 2% running as an independent like that once about a decade ago, but nobody's got anything like that. I, I don't think any of them standing on a group without a party name has got much chance of election against the parties that are there. So I think I think Fred's, Fred's not coming back and I don't think uh, his wife Sylvana Niles is going to replace him either. All right. Well, we are asking people what is driving their vote? What are you voting about? Is it transport, integrity, health, education, something else? The number is 833 1702 02 833 1702. Let's hear a few. G'day, I'm Michael from Dulwich Hill. Uh, what's driving my vote? is public transport not running long enough hours? Um, It's definitely on integrity. I'm sick of pork barrelling. I'm sick of secrecy. I'm sick of jobs for the boys. I'm very concerned about pollution and rising household expenses. Oh, yes, it's John from Balmain calling. Uh, I'm a teacher, so my concern is, is education. Why the education minister has not been a teacher, I cannot believe that. There's some thoughts, 0283331702, if you would like to contribute. Ash, the other thing is that they haven't got all their candidate yet. Why has it taken so long when we're ahead? You know, it, it's rapidly approaching. 
We see this every time, and especially this is a fixed term, and they they always have problems on the ground. Labor's had a number of problems in southwestern Sydney. They've been really late to replace retiring um, MPs in Cabramatta and Fairfield. They finally got two candidates there, but that's been very slow off the mark. Uh, there's still a few to go for, for the Liberals and, and Labor, but they are in, in seats that, that they're really no hope of, of winning and they're still just finalising them. But, but yeah, there's some seats with no candidates uh, in the field yet. Yes, and we'll talk about uh, retiring MPs, new MPs coming up in the face of those who are seeking election in the state next week on the podcast. But Anthony Green, could we see any big surprises, do you think, in the next few Few weeks. How important is this final lead up to the election after four years? I oh, look to, to be honest. I think I think it matters. I think one of the reasons why there were such bad polls for the government at the end of last year and early this year was after the federal election. I think a lot of people were just thinking Scott Morrison all the time. It's taken Perrottet quite a while and a lot of campaigning over summer to actually make people pay attention. Actually, he's the premier that's up for election, and I think you've seen that with some of the change in the polling in recent times. Uh, the Labor Party's to me, running a very sort of um, trying to avoid making errors. They're trying to run a small, a much small, a small target strategy. They think they were ahead. What's the danger here, though, in terms of recognition? Well, it's a big problem for for Chris Minns. He is very much a relatively unknown leader. He's he's been in the job for about eighteen months, so. I think he will have trouble with, with cut-through and we're, and we're seeing that with cut-through now. Dominic Perrottet is the Premier, but he's only been in for just over a year too. So there are almost two two leaders that aren't that well-known um, with, within the the electorate. But Dominic Perrottet has the benefit of, of, of being the Premier and, and of being out more. I've got, I've got to say, I mean, it may seem an odd thing to say, but the, the thing about the Nazi uniform probably got him more publicity as Premier than most issues in the ages and in the end didn't do him any harm, I suspect. And the other one, was, he's actually quite an amusing person, so he makes a crack about South Australia at a Premier's conference and gets run everywhere. I think there's a number of things. I think people, when he first came to office, they didn't know who he was and they knew he had seven children and he wasn't very, you know, he was still quite young. I, I think people have changed their opinions of him since and I think that's been interesting to watch. But the thing about election campaigns, you don't know what is going to happen and they're things that do change the course. We saw that in the lead-up to the 2019 election with Michael Daly as the leader. He had had a few issues during the campaign and, and there was a sense that that really affected the vote. Yes, and perhaps that's why Chris Minns is playing it so safe. Things can go awry. So is it about safety or security? And that's one of the things we will talk about in uh, the podcast next week. But there's also been a redistribution. So very quickly, Anthony Green, what kind of an impact does this have? It's not too major. I mean, the city of Heathcote pushes into the northern end or Warren switches from a Liberal seat to a Labor seat. There's a new seat called Leppington in Western Sydney, which replaces Lakemba, which is further in, and it's a marginal seat. A couple of seats like Oatley and Parramatta have their margins tweaked, but I don't think the election is going to be decided by the redistribution necessarily. But it's uh, another one of those things that just sort of, I think probably the biggest impact of it was the Liberal Party being totally unable to find a seat for David e. Elliott, no matter how hard everyone tried. Oh. Yeah, and Labor yes. had its own problems too. They lost, that was, yeah. Tanya Mihalik lost her seat. So it affected both sides. Well, that's Matters of State for this week. If you'd like to call our election line. Tell us what you'll be thinking about when you go into that voting booth in the church hall or in the school hall and you pick up that pencil 02833-1702. Thank you so much, Anthony Green. Great to chat. Thank you. And Ash Raper. Thank you. Remember to follow Matters of State on the ABC Listen app so you never miss an episode. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. 
Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.